we kicked off last week, we kicked off our series called Frequency. Um, it's a kind of a, it's a weird concept, I know, but we're talking about releasing the sound of freedom. And the, the basic idea for this whole series is that heaven has a frequency, heaven has a sound, and earth has a frequency, earth has a sound. And we're called to bring heaven to earth. I was talking slowly so you could say it with me because I felt like that was a no-brainer answer. Anyway, um, yeah, we're called to bring heaven to, just in case you weren't sure, Albemarle is included in earth. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, I don't know about Albemarle. No, it's definitely included. Um, so we're, we're, we're bringing that sound because we can't, we can't unlock earthly things. We can't see addictions broken with an earthly sound. We have to have a, a higher frequency. You with me? So last week we talked about Jericho, and um, we talked about how when they shouted, the Bible says that they shouted with a great shout. So just... A quick recap, and then we're going to have a testimony. Um, they shouted, that is the, the Hebrew word ruah, and it's usually a war cry. But it says they shouted, they ruahed with a truah. There's two different Hebrew words, but they're related. So they shouted ruah, a war cry, with a great shout, truah, which was almost always a victorious cry. So they didn't just shout, hoping, they shouted knowing right so what i told you last week is that we are this series is going to help us understand the power of our words and our worship when they are full of faith that is grounded in who god is and growing through what we do that's the entire message now i love when this happens um cecil and debbie they Cecil was like, Debbie's got an amazing, <laughs> easy for me to say. Let's start that over. We'll, we'll just cut that part out. Or we'll keep it in. Slow motion, I'll be like. <laughs> he said, Debbie has an amazing testimony that goes along with what you talked about last week. And, and then I know what I'm getting ready to talk about today. We're going to be hanging out some more in the story of Joshua and Jericho. And so I love, don't you love testimonies? You know the point of testimonies, right? The point of testimonies is so that the body of Christ can say, oh, that's what the preacher's been trying to say, right? It's true, isn't it? You've heard me talk forever, and you hear one person say one thing, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Why can't he say it like that? Anyway, so uh, this is Debbie. Uh, welcome, Debbie, to the platform. Some of you are like, who is Debbie? Debbie is the person that makes Cecil look so good, Right? She is his better 99.9%, probably. Did you take a picture of me or her? That's scary. Wait, I wasn't holding my, I wasn't sucking my gut in. So. All right, so give her a hand one more time. Here's her testimony. Thank you. I hope somehow God weaves all this to make it all into what we want it to be today. But you know what? That song today, he's wild about me, or he is wild for me. He's wild for me. I'm not sure why, but I'm here today to give you my testimony about how God is our protector. Um, 
I got the unction last Sunday during praise and worship. I have no idea what song we were singing, but all of a sudden he said, you need to give your testimony about how God protected you in the womb. And so I speak today that God may be glorified and that you somehow may be encouraged. Um, if you will put that slide up, Russ, that'd be awesome. Okay. I want you to go back with me to the fall of 1950 uh, to a small coastal town in Belfast, Maine. Um, I want you to meet my parents. They're on the, on the left. That's Clara and Woody Kelly. Um, they were good people. Um, they were hardworking. They were kind. But they weren't necessarily walking with the Lord. They, we didn't go to church, or they didn't go to church, at least when I came along. But anyway, Mom, she was 43. She was a seamstress in um, a local um, men's clothing factory. Dad, he was 48, and he was um, a farmer. He raised chickens or poultry for a local poultry plant. And um, they, had, they had three sons uh, at that point. They had my oldest brother, uh, Buster or Woodrow. Um, <coughs> he'd, they had seen him go off to World War II. And uh, he served in the South Pacific, and he survived, praise the Lord. And in the fall of 1950, he was married. He had one child and another one on the way due in January. Um, then they had another son, Raymond. Raymond um, unfortunately died at the age of seven from spinal meningitis. And then they had a third son. If you put that slide back up, uh, my brother Richard down there in the corner, um, he, he was 15 in the fall of uh, 1950. Uh, he was living at home, going to high school. Um, so here they are, the fall 1950, and mom is having female issues. And so she goes to our small town doctor, Dr. Stevens, and he says, well, Claire, you are, you're just having change of life issues. And oh, by the way, it appears that you have a tumor. And so we need to take that tumor out. So they set it up, they uh, scheduled her, they got her in the hospital, they took some blood tests, you know, just before the surgery, and they said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're anemic. We can't do the surgery. Doc Stevens says, okay, well, Clara, you just go home and build up your blood and we'll reschedule this surgery. Now, in the meantime, my mom, she had had a pregnancy test when she first had it, started having these issues, and it came back negative. Well, after the thing in the hospital, mom said, Doc, I really feel like you need to do this pregnancy test again. Well, praise God they did, because it came back positive this time. And um, so, this time, the pres again, the, the test came back positive. So mom's anemic, and she's, got, she's carrying a baby. In the meantime, Richard, he comes home 
from high school one day with German measles. So mom is exposed to German measles. And um, so most of you who know anything about pregnancies and everything, that first trimester can be really, really important. All of them are, but anyway. But anyway, um, but God protected this child that my mom was carrying, me. And just as it is written in Psalm 139, you, O Lord, made me all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched over me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me, O Lord, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before I ever took one breath. So, despite all these things that were arrayed against my mom and that baby in her womb, me, my mom and dad's age, mom's 44, starting to change, dad's 48, mom's anemic in that first trimester, mom's exposed to German measles, again, in that first trimester. And if any of you, in case you don't know, during that first trimester, that's when the face and the head and everything kind of comes and melds together. And, but you know what? Even in that situation, God protected me. He protected me. I was born April 29, 1951, in our small little old hospital. I was relatively healthy, except for a cleft palate and a cleft lip. Complete, I had double cleft, cleft lip, and the palate was not completed. So a lot of go things going on with that. But, and that wasn't an unusual thing, given the, what was going on in my mom's first trimester. So, um, but I was, let me see. Ah, was I born perfect? Not to the world, but to God, I was. I was born right on time and for God's purposes. So, from all of this, I am convinced that God showed out as my protector, especially and even before I was born. Now, he then showed out and exercised his greatness as my provider. But that is a testimony for another time. So in conclusion, I will extol the Lord, pray that he's been glorified and magnified through me and my testimony today, and I declare with the psalmist, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, and my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions know this very well. Amen, and thank you. That's so good. So why did I have her, why did we want her to share that? Um, turn to Josh. Joshua chapter 6. Because God protects the vulnerable. 
I mean, how many of y'all know I could, God, we could teach a lot on just that? God protects the vulnerable. Um, if you weren't here last week, I, I gave like, gee, it felt like 100, but like I think it were eight takeaways from the story of Joshua and Jericho. I'm not going to recap all eight of those, but um, I am going to pull two out today, and we're just going to talk through these two. So if you're a note taker, this is what you're going to want to write down. Number one, God's strategy is more important than our safety. God's strategy is more important than our safety. If I'm not going to read all 20 verses again, but this in Judges chapter 6, if you're familiar with the story, then he, he had the people of God walk around Jericho once every day. And then on the seventh day, he had them walk around six times and then on the seventh shout. And so there's a lot of walking around. Somebody had, um, was asking me, like, how big is Jericho? It's not big. Um, literally, it could take 15 minutes to walk around Jericho. So imagine that, right? All the people of God. Can you, we talked about this last week with parents of teenagers. Can you imagine parents trying to wake your teenager up? Like, we're going to go for a walk. Get dressed. All your stuff on. Everything for 15 minutes. It'd be so easy to say, like, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And as they were walking around, they were... a a very clear, visible target, yes? I mean, all they had to do in Jericho is just, like, look down. Oh, yeah, there they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. Oh, they're done. Okay, that was strange. They could have been taken out at any point, right? At any point. God's strategy is more important than our safety. That's important because we make our safety the most important thing in our lives. And as a parent, I understand that, right? We, we say, oh, God, please keep my children safe. I mean, even as we speak, Sydney is on a plane flying back home, right? Don't think for a second I don't want to track her flight right here as I'm preaching, right? You'd be like, why does he keep swiping, Right? It's, it's just in our DNA, right? We want to make sure that people are safe. That's not a bad thing. But when we elevate our safety above God's strategy, well, God, I would do that, except that feels very unsafe. His strategy is more important than our safety. But here's the second takeaway, and this is why we can rest in that. God's plan offers perfect protection. So when he tells you, hey, I want you to do such and such, and you say, Oh, that seems so unsafe, but okay. Then as we start to walk out his plan, his plan includes our protection. Does that make sense? We might not see it, but it includes it. So it kind of makes me think like, what did the people from Jericho actually see when they looked down? Right? Because we're thinking about from a human perspective, we are just people circling. But what did they actually see? We, We don't know. We know there's a story in the Bible where the servant said, please, God, please open the eyes of my servant. The prophet please open the eyes of my servant so he can see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. So in that moment, his eyes were open and he was like, whoa, all I saw was the enemy. But holy cow, do you, do y'all, can y'all see that? Look at all those people behind him that are for us. Right. So sometimes we only see certain things, but that's not all we can. That's not all that we can see. There's more there. 
And so we don't know what the people from Jericho saw as they looked down. But I know that God's plan offered them perfect protection. So just verses 3 through 5, Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. I don't have, we're not going to break this apart. I'm just going to make this one statement, and then we're going to move on. If, if volume was a sign of obedience, the American church has no shot. Because we're way too cool to be loud. Are y'all reading the same Bible I'm reading? Then have all the people shout in obedience. Yes. To shout in faith, 100%. But what they said was, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Remind me again, who is talking? Verse 2 says, the Lord said to Joshua, have them shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Volume matters sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And again, I'll say it, we are too cool for that. We are too cool for that. So if, that's, if that was us, the walls are still standing. I don't, I, you can't make me shout. Nobody's trying to. Just, the Lord said Shout. I don't know what to tell you. I feel as awkward as you do. Shout as loud as you can. I'm not Pentecostal, but, but are you an obedient follower of Jesus? This isn't even about Pentecostal. That's not my preference. Mine either. Unless it's for my team that's winning. Then, it, then it's amazing how loud I can get them. Right? Because we're hiding behind body paint and all this stuff. Right? You know? Like, I was, again, March Madness is my jam, y'all. I love March Madness. I love upsets, unless my team lost because of the upset. But I'm watching, like, Florida, is it Florida Athletic University? Did I get that right? No. What is, what's the A stand for? What? Atlantic. <laughs> it's chance for you're an idiot. <laughs> um, Florida Athletic University. I, didn't, I mean, all I knew is they're from Florida. Near the Atlantic. <laughs> That's all I know. But those, they, they can ball. Man, they are good. And I am, a, I'm a fan now. Like, I'm, I'm like, beat everybody. And then go beat countries. I don't even know. Just keep playing basketball. It's a, I mean, I get so caught up in it, right? Like, I love that. I was making noise in my house Watching a team, I didn't even know that it, where they're from in Florida, and I was into it. But I ain't saying nothing loud in church. Your priorities are jacked, and mine are too. Listen to this. The battle plan Joshua was to use was most unusual. 
Ordinary weapons of war, such as battering rams and scaling ladders, were not to be employed. I didn't write this. This is a commentary. So the ordinary ways that you would fight, God said, don't do that. Rather, Joshua and his armed men, armed men, like load up with all your guns. People in the South are like, I'm loving this message, right? Load up with all your Second Amendment and then don't use them. Just march around the city once a day for six straight days with seven priests blowing trumpets preceding the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, they were to circle seven times, and then the wall of Jericho would collapse, and the city would be taken. I, I mentioned this last week. In the Bible, the number seven often symbolizes completeness or perfection. There were seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven circuits of the wall on the seventh day. And though God's plan of action may have seemed foolish to men, it was the perfect scheme for this battle. It seems like the outlandish tactic, it's my words, caused the Israelites to look foolish, but that's what allowed the plan to unfold under the radar. I got to thinking, I mentioned this last time, there's a reason God asks us to do things. There's a reason why God said to them, I want you to walk around once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. Why didn't, why didn't they just, the walls just fall on the first day? Because who do you think would have taken the credit? I have a guess. The Israelites. Do you remember why the um, walls, why the, the city of Jericho was so tightly shut up? Do you remember? Verse 1, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because God was moving in all his holiness and glory. It's not what it says. Because the people were afraid of the Israelites. So if they had marched on up there, we got a plan. One time around, here we go, 15 minutes, let's run. Boom. That had been like, look what I have done. Look what I have done. But they, the more they walked every day, how foolish do you think they felt? I'm going to say pretty foolish. How'd they look? Um, we were talking about this last week. Just watch VeggieTales. You'll get, a, you'll get a good clue how they felt. I think it was purple slushies. Being a, they were attacked. They felt like fools, y'all. But every step was a step towards obedience and victory from God and away from what they could have done on their own. The gates might have been tightly shut up because of, they were afraid of the Israelites, but they came down because of the power of God and because his people were obedient. Now, all of that leads me to this question. It's the question I'm asking you today. Oh, God, help us. Are you and I, are we willing to play the fool in order to fool the enemy. Are we willing? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm getting ready to read a lot. Y'all okay? Verses 18 and then we'll go through chapter 2 verse 5. Just listen to the theme of what Paul's writing here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. 
Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand the signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Are y'all picking up on the theme here? Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God... Oh, but God. I, I say all the time, the, the Bible is full of buts, and they are good, right? This is a good but. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Please, I'm praying that those two verses, they just, they settle in your spirit. Because we can shout about those verses, except for the fact that they only work if we allow him to choose us, and we are the foolish things of the world. We are the foolish. We are the lowly. We are the despised. Verse 30, it is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that all of those verses, all of those verses to achieve verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Are we willing to play the fool in order to fool the enemy? Let me clarify. I didn't say act the fool. Some of us are way too willing to act the fool, right? I'm talking about are we willing to play the fool, be in a foolish position in order to fool the enemy. And we're talking about worship this week, I mean, in this series specifically about, like, the sound. So we're going we're gonna to hang out a little bit in a story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And then I'll, I'll kind of bring this to a close. What does it look like specifically in our worship to play the fool? Y'all okay? Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. This is a lot of scripture. Y'all are good, right? You like the Bible? Okay. I'm good. I'm just making sure y'all are good. 
2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. Now, um, we've, we've read this, of not, it's not been too far back we read this, but we were talking about what came before this part of the story, and that is when um, Uzzah, the, the cart that was carrying the ark of God, it, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah put his hand out and then he died. And this is what happens after that. Like he's trying to bring this back, the, the ark of God back into the city. So they finally do it the right way. And verse 14 is describing what happens as they got back and nobody died. Wearing a linen ephod, which is kind of like underwear, it's, it's undergarments. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Um, just to make sure you don't get lost while I read this. Anytime I say ark of the Lord, would you just think God's presence? So, because we don't have an ark, right? I mean, I don't think. Looking around. No, we don't have one. We don't. So nobody's like when, when Allison starts singing and she's like walking back and forth like it's fantastic. And no, we don't have people like walking out carrying an ark of God on poles. Let's walk with you, right? It would be, she, she, they, they would hit her and it would be bad, right? It would be bad, bad. So we don't have that, but the presence of God is what the ark represented, okay? So when I say ark of God, just, just think presence. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I am not trying to be like the prophetic guy this morning, but I'm telling you, people despise freedom. We cannot be those people. We cannot. Well, that's not how I think freedom should look. Dude, until you're set free, you don't know how it should look. Talk to me when you get set free. <laughs> I'll be like, you're weird. And in a good way, we're Jesus weird, right? It's good. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then they gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Look, they feed people too. We're having soup today, y'all, like no cake of dates or whatever that was. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household. Now, I, I, I'm trying not to preach this passage. He's going home to a wife who despised his freedom in her heart. And what did he go home to that home? Do you think that surprised him? If he didn't, I mean, he didn't know it. Like, he just... We know it because we're being told the story. But if somebody had walked up to him while he was dancing in his underwear and said, you know, your wife hates this, how many of you think he would have been surprised by that? He's married. I mean, I think he probably had a pretty good idea, right? So even though his wife despised his freedom in the Lord, what does verse 20 say that he was going home to do? Bless his household. I mean, should we just stop right there and like say, hey, God, you just shifted the entire message and we should get on our face and repent for how we curse people who curse us when we're the ones that are supposed to be the blessing? Y'all are not ready for me. I don't think I'm ready for me, but I'm in a different place, y'all. I'm, I'm not, we're not playing anymore. 
Quit cursing people when you're the ones that are supposed to take the blessing. Well, they were mean to me first. Grow up. What was this? It's the second grade. What is this? Well, they left our church, so I'm not going to talk to them. Then would you also leave our church? I'm going to just start over. <laughs> when David returned home to bless his household, man, that is so in me. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Sarcasm was definitely her love language, wasn't it? How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls as his servants. Uh, in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. How was your day, honey? David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. I, I feel like he's saying this from a pure heart, but it does feel like a dig, doesn't it? Like, well, let's talk about family history, shall we? I think your dad's not on the throne. It was before, me, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. There's a lot in that story to unpack, and I'm going to try to do it briefly. Verse 14, what does it look like to play the fool in order to fool the enemy? What does it look like to play the fool just in worship, y'all? Number one, verse 14, it says that David danced and worshiped with all his might. I'm asking hard questions of you and of me. Have you worshiped this morning with all your might? When the, the one time I tried to play legitimate organized football was at Wingate College when I had never played in high school. And I remember we, I've, I've, I think I've told you a story. We had to run the mile. And so I was running with the other slow people. The faster people were done and showered. But I was running slower. And there was a, a, a coach that was riding next to us on a golf cart. You know you're slow, right? I mean, a golf cart, they, they can only go so fast. And he's riding next to us on the golf cart. And he looked at us. And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, stop pacing yourself. If you want it bad enough, it'll be there in the end. What, what, what are we waiting for exactly, church? What are we pacing our worship for? Well, if I give it all this week, what if next week's not as good? What is that? I mean, what, what is, I'm just trying to push back against this thinking. And again, I told you last week, this is not about preference. This is not about style. This is about the heart. Have you this morning, just this morning, have you worshipped him with all your might? Are you going to get in the car and say, I, I, I could give him more. David worshipped with all his might. 
verse 20, his wife basically called David a vulgar fool. <laughs> In verse 22, David basically said, I hadn't even started yet. You thought that, I'm sorry, you thought that was vulgar? Yeah, I haven't even got to my boxers yet. And it just, I'm not saying come next week naked. And, no, that's not what I'm saying. We, we, I think we have, we are establishing some prayer cloths, right? And we will use them, right? And then and we will have, we'll have prayer sheets. And we'll have the fitted sheets that wrap you up, right? Don't, no, that's not, but in our heart, I mean, are you even willing to worship vulnerably before the Lord? And this is the key. And this is where I want us to get to this morning. Verses 14 and verses 21. David made clear that he was dancing before the Lord. He was dancing for an audience of one. <laughs> that sounds like it should fix it, doesn't it? Just live for an audience of one. Am I the only one who also doesn't do foolish things even when I'm in a room by myself? Literally. I could, I mean, I could be at home. Wendy's out. Kids are gone. Animals somewhere else. It's just literally me and God. And if he said, Paul, I need you to fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? Sing at the top of your lungs. Stand on your head. Sit quietly. What, I mean, whatever it is, if what he asked me to do feels foolish, I will in a house by myself be like, just making sure the neighbors can't see this and then I still might not even do it because it feels foolish pride is an earthly frequency and it stifles the heavenly frequencies of humility and passion pride stifles heaven's frequency because we start to put a limit on what we'll do for God. So back to that story about um, Matt Redman, remember? And his youth pastor saying, like, I don't know, just do the first thing that comes to your mind. And he's like, all I can think about was running, in, running around the building. So he did it. I've told you this before. I, I've been through periods in my life when it didn't matter what the preacher preached about. When he gave the altar call, I was going. We'd like to call all of the serial killers to the front, please. I was going. If you run over puppies on a regular basis, please come to the front of the church. We'll be praying. I was going. It didn't, it didn't matter. It did not matter to me what he said or what she said. I was going to the front. I, I, would, I would almost guarantee you that this morning while we were singing, that all of us had things go through our mind. And then the next thought was, are you sure that you want me to do that, God? Really? Kneel right now? Go to the front right now? Sing loud enough that the person next to me knows I'm actually singing right now? 
We've, we've probably talked ourselves out of simple obedience just because it felt foolish. And why does God want us to play the fool? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know the story of Gideon? He has like 36,000 soldiers, something like that. And then God says, you've got too many. Just say, hey, if you're afraid, go home. And like he lost everybody, but was it 10,000, I think? So he's just like, hey, if you're afraid, just go home. <laughs> like, what is happening? And they're going to go up against an army of like over 30, I think. And then, then God says, yeah, we got a problem. You got too many people. Oh, okay, what do you want me to do? Just go take them down there and tell them they can get a drink. And so anyway, at the end of that test, he's got 300 people. 300. Now, this makes for a great movie. Y'all have seen 300, right? I'm not saying you should see it. It's probably gory. I haven't seen it. I'm just saying it's probably very action-packed and right? But in the, yeah, yeah they, they do. They all, they all die. And, in the Bible, 300 people win, right? So just fast forward to today. Gideon is on the speaking circuit. Would you agree? People are like, dude, you need to come speak at my church conference on, on how to obtain spiritual victory. Awesome. I'd, I'd, be honored, I'd be honored to. What would you like me to talk about? Your strategy. Talk about your strategy. Talk about the plan that God gave you. Uh, okay. Um, they lapped like dogs. What, I'm sorry, what? They lapped like dogs. The people that God chose, they, they lapped like dogs. What are you saying? I'm saying, would, would, you, would you also, would you lap like a dog now? I'm sorry. What are you asking me to do? Well, I'm just telling you that's what they did. They laugh like dogs. They like, like literally got down, like ready to go at any moment. They, they looked like fools. Oh, but but so those are the three hundred. So I've seen the movie. So they're like big people tatted up. Can't, yeah, kinda. So they all just like let them have it. We lit candles and broke pottery. I'm sorry, you, you, did, you did what? It wasn't really like a pottery class, but we had jars. We put candles in them. We lit them. We smashed them. We yelled. And, and then what? Then we won. Are you at the right conference? Do you see how foolish this would sound? Gideon played the fool. And because he played the fool, he fooled the enemy. This is important for us to get, y'all. And I get that I am talking to an American crowd. And our pride is, oh, it is up there. And that's why you freak out when bad things happen. Because you can't figure it out. 
Because you, we want to be in control. We want to be in charge. We want to see how the plan could work. And so when God says, hey, get in, here's what I need. I need you to whittle them down to 300 because I've only got 300 pots. So here's, everybody get a jar. Have them light the candles. I'm sorry, don't have to put their swords away to do that. Yes, put the swords away. You won't need them. Just light the candle and smash it, yell, and I'll take care of the rest. I mean, most of us are out already because that makes no sense. I mean, can I say this out loud again? It does not make sense. It's okay to think that because it doesn't. But it worked because it was God. And because he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise so that nobody who thinks they're wise can take glory for what God did. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a weird big idea, but here we go. When I am less, I can rest in any test. And then as, as Debbie was talking, I thought about this. Um, if I could change like one, one word, here's what I would make it. I can rest in foolishness when I am less. John 3.30 says he must increase and I must decrease. And I'm sorry to be the one to inform you in this. The only way... The only way that we decrease is by being put in positions that make us feel foolish. That make us feel like people are looking at us like, what in the world are you doing? I don't really know, but he said to do it. Oh, awesome. Please never do that again. Right? I mean, can I say this out loud, Connie? She literally walks over to me during worship, and she said, from the first song that, that we started singing, she's like, I just know God told me to run around the room. And I want to so badly, but I'm so, I'm just not free. And I said, thank you for telling me that, because I'm fixing to preach about the very same thing. And that makes me feel even more free, because I know that you're not free in a weird kind of a way, but thank you. And then she ran around and started screaming. And some of y'all were like, pull your kids in close. <laughs> she going she gonna to grab them, right? <laughs> I'm just pastoring you through a moment. She's not going to grab your kids or, or, or you, which is what you're most concerned about, right? I would be free, but God called me to shield my kids. Because she's living out what God asked her to do. Just like he asked me to kneel. Just like a couple weeks ago, I think I literally laid here on the floor. And the whole time I'm laying here, I'm thinking, like, I don't really want to get up. Because when I do, I'll be gone. Because we don't know how to deal with people's freedom. Well, do I have to do that? No. You have to do what he told you to do. There's room for all that in the house. And so if I'm struggling and if we're honest, all of us should struggle, then when I face a test and I can't rest in it, it's because there's something in me that still has to die. He's still killing some pride. If there's anything in me that says, I will not walk around this city for seven days, this is ridiculous, God. And I'm, I've trained too hard to only light a candle and break pottery. 
then there's still some pride in me that, that he's putting me in a foolish situation to kill that part of me. But when it's gone, I can rest. I can rest. When I am less, I can rest in any test. All right, can we get the band? As the band comes. I really sometimes do struggle with teaching stuff like this because I recognize that it's just way too easy to think we're living it out if we sing louder. I mean, is that fair to say? Okay, Paul just wants us to sing louder so we can go eat soup. But it, it, we, it's so easy to boil it down to that, right? But it's just about singing and worshiping in obedience, right? Sometimes that will be loud. There's just no way around it, but sometimes it will be soft. And I, I know I've shared this with you before. I, I think my favorite deliverance stories are not people that start screaming at devils. Although, I'm telling you, if somebody came and busted into my house, I would not be like, would you please leave? There'd be some volume happening. Y'all watch, watch the TV show Alone? I don't understand it. The bear, the bear is walking next to your tent, and they're like, make noise. <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> right? And they're like, run, 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 run. Get out of here, bear. Get out of here, bear. Get out of here, bear. And I'm like, shh. The bear will hear you and eat you. But what does the noise do? The bear runs away. I don't get it. That's, now, that's foolishness right there to me. Sometimes there's a place to be loud. And sometimes there's a place to just stand in authority and say, in the name of Jesus, stop. It doesn't always look the same. Only you know when you're worshiping with all your might. I don't know that. It's not my place to judge it. I'll tell you what I used to tell teenagers all the time. In worship, hands can lie. whole time you're having sex with the person next to you we went to a whole nother level didn't we just then sorry y'all i just had flashbacks to youth group days sorry let me let me rephrase that to make it more applicable to adults i love you jesus the whole time you're having an affair with the person next to you hands can lie in worship you know what can't lie face your face can't lie. Your eyes, they're the window to the soul. So I'm asking you as we close this morning to look at Jesus. Would you just look at Jesus? Give me Jesus. I don't want anyone else. I don't need anything else. He is our one thing. We are living for an audience of one. And right now, in this moment, no one in this room matters as much as he does. And church, I'm asking you for a few moments as we respond and close.
to worship him with all your might. That means all your heart, all your focus, all your thoughts, all your might, all your strength, all your doubts. Would you just for a moment bring all of that to Jesus and say, here, with all that's going on in my life, I choose you. I choose, like David, to dance, sing, kneel before the Lord. And don't worry about the Michaels in the room that will tell you, hey, pipe down with the freedom. Don't pipe down. He's given you a voice. Use it. Release the sound of freedom in this place. This really isn't a, a service where I can call you to the front and pray for you because this is about you and Jesus. So as the band, as they lead us in this simple course about him being our one thing, I'm just going to ask you to respond to him, not to me, not to the person next to you, not even to the person you think you should be and how you think you should. Re just respond to him. You just give him a, a moment of your undivided yes.